Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Raising Equity on YouTube. Welcome to Raising Equity. Hopefully you've been following our Black Girl Magic series. It's a series where I try to make sure we show and understand the complexity of Black women and their stories, because too often we get portrayed as a monolith and a narrow stereotype. And today I'm honored to have with me Rain Bayak, who is amazing, the conjurer of love and magic in all sorts of ways. She's the founder and owner of Sweet Art, a wonderful bake shop and actually a restaurant here in St. Louis. Also, she is a resident chef at Anu, a local upscale venue, and I'm honored to call her a friend. So I'm so honored that you came to sit with me today. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> well, it's interesting because as we were chatting before, you know, this this pattern that you have or this rhythm that you have owning sweet art, you're up at like all hours of the night. So I, I really appreciate you coming. Yes, all hours of the morning and night. Yeah. Yep, depending on what needs to be done. When did you know you wanted to cook, bake, you own know, a restaurant? I think I was forced into it, if I'm being honest. Really? It's a passion and I love it, but I didn't think I was going to open anything um, as soon as I did. I was in editing and publishing. I had gone for an interview with a local publication that is still around, yay them. Um, and it was the final interview with four editors. And I'm thinking, I got this. I'm doing it. They need me, you know, because my confidence was way high. Um, That's good to know that it was. It didn't just come in the past few years. <laughs> way high. And the somewhere in the conversation, I was asked about my life currently, and I was, you know, freelancing, doing this and doing that, and that I had three small children. And the very last question of the interview. Um, one of the editors said, how many children do you have again? And before I could answer, another editor said, three. And eyes raised, chin out, like, and I thought, I'm not going to get this. I'm just not going to get this job because I have three small children. I'd been freelancing for them for a while, um, being paid to do it. And I thought, yeah, okay. Been doing this for a while. They like my samples. They like my writing. They know I can edit. But when that happened, I said, I'm not going to get this job. I'm just not going to get it. And I'd been baking at home, developing recipes for my, when the kids are out of school and I'm 55, I'm going to have a cute little shop selling scones and tea, that sort of thing. I'm glad I didn't wait till I was 55. I really want to be chilling at 55. How old um, were you when you opened? 31. Okay. 31. And isn't I just want to point out, not that folks didn't just hear you say it, but even when you're a known quantity, a known entity, hmm? you still get discriminated against uh -huh. as a woman with kids. Oh, definitely. Because all they have all these assumptions. So in academia and actually in corporate, they call it like the mommy trap, mm. right? Where they just assume that you're not going to do as much because right. you have kids. Because in our society, they assume that we are taking on all the caretaking roles. And, right. you know, it is disproportionately so, but not necessarily so. Not necessarily. And for me, when I get an employee or a potential employee who has children as a mother, I think, oh, they know how to work hard. Right. Because you do. 
you really know how to work hard. You know how to juggle. You know how to multitask. Um, and if you're working and you're taking that time away from your children, you're either really passionate about it or you really need to. Yep. So you're probably going to be a great employee. That's a good reframe that I think other folks need to adopt. Yes, adopt that. <laughs> right, because it's always the assumption that you're not going to work as hard or that you're right. going to trying to run off and take care of your kids rather than do your job. This mm. is very true. Mm. So you were just 31. I was just 31. I had no restaurant experience. Um, I had no commercial baking experience, for real. I had restaurant experience, but what you would have as a college student or a high school student working in somebody's restaurant, bake shop sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I had no professional experience and thought, okay, I'll try it, see what happens. That's amazing. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> I don't know if it's amazing or no, I think delusional. <laughs> but I think it's beautiful for folks to hear, right? Because mm -hmm. they see you, they see Sweetheart, and it looks so magnificent. Your pictures are beautiful. Thank you. I practice. You're good. I practice. Look back to like the very first Instagram photo. Yikes. Um, I started following food photographers and got better at it. Um I had to, because I was like, ooh, that doesn't even look, look appetizing. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do better at this. So, yes, but practice, I, practice. Yeah, no, but I appreciate your honesty, because so often I think people look at folks where they are in their success, and they don't mm -hmm. realize all the, not that they don't realize all the work, but the, like, leaps of faith. Oh, gosh, leaps of faith, um, crazy hurdles. I've had Everything that can go wrong with a business has happened to my business. Mm. I started with Kababi. He and I is public knowledge. We're not Will and Jada, so we don't go hollering about it. But we aren't together as a married couple anymore. We've been separated for a while. When we separated, the business took a hard hit from the state. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, here I am working insane amount of hours. This is probably year seven. Um, my marriage is dissolving. Uh, the state has just levied my account. It's something to be negative $100, but to be negative like $21,000 when you don't really ever have that much mm. in your account in the mm. first place. And payroll is due in two days. Having to work it all out and figure it out in 48 hours. Um, and then having employees who show up or don't, who respect you or try not to, because I don't do the don't, you can try. Um, this is going to be the last then, time yeah, you try. Yeah, it's going to be the last time you try. Vendors who do the same. Um, and then some customers who are suffering from entitlement and feel as though they can say almost anything to you in any way. Mm. Small business ownership. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, but if you can survive it, you, you, you're strong. Right. You're strong. Right. Yeah, I would imagine that would be hard to keep going beyond the relationship ending, right? Because you started it together. Yeah. I remember when I first met, I think I met Kababi first, and I was like, oh, sweet art. Oh, sweet Neat art. Yes. Oh, I get it. That's how, yes, the logo is the same. Yes, sweet art. Yeah. You know, I think... When we were first separating, there were lots of angsty feelings, but uh, thank God for therapy. Um, 
and really processing some things. Because I don't think anything happens accidentally. Everything is meant to build you. And when I stop feeling like a victim in it all, like, how is this what it is? And now I'm supposed to be taking care of this business and keeping the kids situated and da da da. It's all to build you. So I think everything happened in divine order. And now I feel not invincible, but the cousin to invincible, mm. whatever word that is. Mm. The cousin to invincible. Yeah. You hope that people get to live their full lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the ways we get to that place is through the education system. And yes. I wanted to talk with you about um, not just City Garden Montessori, which you were mm -hmm. part of beginning, but even let's go back further. Your okay. experience growing up in St. Louis, being a part of the DSEG busing program. Mm -hmm. So I w am originally from McKenzie, Tennessee. And from Tennessee, I spent a little time in St. Louis. We moved from Tennessee to St. Louis. I went to Melanthe for a year or so. Um, we moved to Los Angeles. So I was in South Central LA going to school. But I had no idea. I, yeah, but I... I felt as though I was at a really good school. It was definitely in the hood, but I had great teachers. Um, and when I came back to St. Louis, I was in a city middle school. And I remember being in that middle school coming in like at grade six and a half, um, half year mark, mark, and thinking, what are... I thought, what are they learning? Because some of the things that I came in on, I had learned two, three years prior. And I think that is why my mother decided on the DSEC program. That's what we called it back in the day, DSEC. Mm -hmm. um, because she knew that we weren't being challenged and we could not afford private school. So that was the option. So by the time I was ready for high school, I um, had gotten in the program and was sent to Kirkwood. So you went from, where did you live? We lived North City. So Ooh. Grand and Natural Bridge. How long of a bus ride was that? It was very long. I think it prepped me for these early hours that I have right now. How yeah. early did you have to get up to catch that bus? We, we would be on the bus stop at 5.25 a.m. Yes. And school started at? 750. Because so, you had to pick other people up. You had to pick other people up. Had to pick other people up. Multiple stops. That's the back story that I think a lot of people don't think about. They think, Not oh, isn't all. it great? You get to go to this better school, quote, you know, the yeah, better air quotes. Maybe yeah. academically, but socially and psychologically. Not no, always. Yeah, no. But think about how much time you spend on the bus. Yeah. And then it, on the way an, home too. It's a whole day. You are spending 12, 13 hours, and heavens forbid you participate in an after-school program. How are you getting home? They they will have after-school buses, but that's even longer because there are still multiple stops. Then you got two hours yeah, to get home. Yeah, and then you have, yeah. And then you have homework. Time, then you have homework. You might want to see you, your family. Right. Maybe. You maybe. might want to eat, Yeah, too. But you don't have possibly. time to stay connected with people in your neighborhood. Oh, not at all. You're gone when it's dark, and you don't get back till it's dark. So you don't know the kids. Mm -hmm. They don't know you. No. Which makes your social situation in your home, home. difficult. Yeah. And I am i can't imagine that it was easy, given some of the stories I've heard. 
No, and in you Kirkwood. you're doing your day is longer than most adults who go work a nine to five. You have a longer day than most adults. Um, were you cognizant of that, of just like the trade-offs when you were a kid or were you excited no, to go? I wasn't, I didn't realize it at all. Um, I just knew the day was really, really long, um, but you're young and you have some energy, but you know, we would sometimes sleep on the bus um, and you just get through it. I think I started becoming resentful by my sophomore year. Mm, didn't take long. No, it didn't. <laughs> By my sophomore year, I was like, this is some bullshit. Like it is. This is some bullshit. I don't even because you're you're there and you're at a school, and it's not like the people who live in that community are happy to see you. Or their children. Did you have any blatant, like, did people say it? Um or and I just want to point out for folks mm -hmm. what year this was. What year was this? This was 1990, 1991. Yeah, I graduated in ninety four. So yeah, so mm -hmm. in other episodes, I've spoken with my mom, with um, Aaron's mother, mm -hmm. who are kids of Brown v. Board. Yeah, or you know, my mom was one of the first to desegregate some of the North City schools that mm -hmm. were all white. Yeah. And then quickly flipped as people and, fled. Right. Right? Yeah, as so people she, fled. Yep. So she talks about having to be escorted from the bus because people were throwing things at them. Mm. And that was in the 60s. And I think people assume that by the 90s, things would be, things would be better and different. different. I don't think things were as, I don't think they were better. I do think they were different. I don't feel as though... There wasn't that subtle yet boiling um, resentment for the students who were bussed in. Mm -hmm. My story took an interesting twist because my family was evicted from our home. And we had no family here because we were originally from Tennessee. So that meant once my high school found that out, my principal and his wife took me in my junior year. So then I got to experience being with not only a white family, but a white family whose male figure was the head of the school, and then see how teachers responded to me. And it was different. I bet it was. They really cared if I succeeded then. Because you were his because daughter. Because I was living in that house. His surrogate daughter at that mm -hmm. moment. Yeah. It was totally different. And I tried to explain that back then or maybe a year or two being removed from it. But I could see it as a kid. Like, I've had you before and you weren't this interested. Now, I had teachers who were very interested, a couple, very interested and expected me to succeed. But I feel as though a lot of the teachers didn't even expect the kids who came from the city to do well, they didn't expect it. So they weren't pushing. They were kind of like, well, you got to see, you got to see, that's not bad. Instead of- You could do better. You could do better. Why aren't you doing better? Because if you have a C, that means you're understanding something. I need you to understand more. I'm going to invest in you that way. There was not that. It was low expectations. Very low expectations. And kids who are not intrinsically motivated will 
rise or fall to those low expectations. And who is that who said um, people don't care or people won't care until they know you care? Like Mm, something along those Mm -hmm. lines of, yeah, I'm not going to care until I know you care about me. So that's true. How about socially? How was it being in Kirkwood? Socially, I stayed um, with my own race. And I think back then the lunchroom was like the churches. And see, they're all white over here. And then you have your black tables. Um, I had all of my friends were black. Most of them lived in the city. Some lived out in Kirkwood, but in the black part of Kirkwood. Mm -hmm. Because there was a black part of Kirkwood. Right. Um, I did activities like peer helpers, palm squad, track and field. Um, so I could be social with some of the white students, but it was because I was on the palm squad and we were we would talk. Mm-hmm. But not like I wasn't going to anybody's house who was white. That I mean, that's about how it goes. Yeah. And some of it is developmental uh, in the sense that if, especially if you're being bussed out of your neighborhood, wanting to right. stay connected to people who are like you. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of it, I, mean, I went to a school where I wasn't being bussed. I was just out in a suburb mm-hmm. uh, in Southern Illinois. And I remember there was a white young lady whose house I went to. And I don't know why she felt the need to tell me, but that I was okay because I wasn't like those black people. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've always been able to turn that proper on. Um, and so I had, especially once I started working like in fast food and jobs and things like that, I had managers and people who were my peers, but not black be like, oh, you're so well-spoken. Oh, you speak really well. Oh, you're so articulate. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I've been in school like you've been in school. Right. What do you expect? Again, these stereotypes. Yeah. And assumptions. So where'd you go to college? What what made you? So my first year, I went to Blackburn College Uh in Carlinville, Illinois. Yep. That wasn't necessarily my, like, I want to go to Blackburn. Um, It was a small liberal arts college. My first two years at Kirkwood, my grades were very low. Imagine my last two years, they were very high. Imagine. Um, So I could get into Blackburn and it was close-ish. I had a little boyfriend who was a year younger and I was trying to still kind of be close because, you know, that's what you do when you're stupid. And (laughs) after that first year, I wanted to study French. And Blackburn didn't have French. They had Spanish. And I wanted to go to France. I don't know why. It was just in my mind. I was like, I want to study French. And I want to go to France. And I want to. And so I applied to SLU. Now, I applied to SLU when I was a senior. And I talked to a counselor. And they were like, you're probably going to be waitlisted because of your GPA. And I thought, okay, well, I'll be waitlisted. We'll see what happens. Da, 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 da. They didn't waitlist me. They it denied me. And I was like, 
okay, well, looks oh, like it's Blackburn. Right. That's where I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had done so well my first year at Blackburn that when I applied to SLU for my sophomore year, I got a scholarship. And I was like, here I go from being denied to getting a scholarship. Look at that. Um, and then I came to St. Louis and lived on campus. My family moved back to Tennessee by this point. Okay. Yeah, kind of gypsies we were. And um, I just started studying English and French. Those were my majors. And then I eventually went off and lived in Lyon Mm -hmm. because I wanted to live in France. So Yeah, I remember now that that was part of the connection when I first Mm. came. Yes. With Rhonda. Rhonda. Yes, the French, which my my mon français ce n'est pas clairement. Uh, moi aussi. The <laughs> fact that I could understand that much, <laughs> it's a miracle. Right? <laughs> it's back in the back of our brains. So how did you do study abroad in Lyon? I did. I did. I studied abroad. Um, and it was so overwhelming. Mm. And I thought I was going to die. And I spent some days really crying because I went thinking my French was good, good. And then I got over there and I was like, I don't understand anything anybody is saying, nor do they understand me. Um, I was struggling just to get a crepe on the street. And I was like, it can't be this hard when you have money in your hand. Why is it this difficult? Um, but it was good. One another one of those experiences that grows you. Oh, study abroad yeah. or just traveling abroad, living abroad. Mm-hmm. That will grow you. Yep. That will grow you. That will. Did you do a semester or a year? I did a semester. I was supposed to do a year. Yeah. But I did a semester and France had its own race issues. Oh, Oh, it still does. (laughs) They deny it. They will deny it left and right and up and down. Back in 1997, they definitely had their own race issues. And I thought, I just want to finish up school and and get get to moving on with my life. Yeah. Um, so I came back. I finished up. It took me a, another year to finish up. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I came back six months later, I got married. So yeah, really? I was still a senior in college when I got married. Were and you? then I had one final semester, finished that up and started working. Interesting. I didn't realize you got married in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I met a Bible when I was 20. So I, I married pretty young. Yeah. Like I met him and was committed to him at 20. I married him in 22, but I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to lock this down because I was a big pimp back then. So Were you? <laughs> or at least I thought you I was. You thought you were. I thought I got game. I'm about to <laughs> shut this down. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't nobody's but mine. Yeah, that's right, how I kind of right. felt. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave the country real quick, but I'll be back whole tight. Right. So, right. yeah, that's what I was doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Too funny. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I I think about like we actually got married the year after I graduated from college, mm-hmm. so not too different. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went and lived in West Africa for a while, and okay. that was it's it shapes you. Yeah, it does to be in another country to not speak the language fluently. Yeah, yeah. it does. It shapes mm-hmm. you. It does. It. So then, if you got married at twenty two, mm-hmm. the kids came pretty quickly. Um, Journey was first, and she was born when I was 24 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And that was so funny because I was like, I feel like I'm ready to be a mom. I don't know what the hell was wrong. I was not ready for that. Are we ever ready? No. But now I think about it, especially if I do wedding consults and someone's 20, 21, I'm like, yeah, just hold tight. Just wait. Calm down. Just hold tight. Just 
be boyfriend girlfriend for a long time, just for a little longer, uh, just a little longer. Um, but yeah, I thought I'm ready. To, I'm ready to do this. I didn't want to be an old parent. That's the only thing I knew for sure. I was like, I don't want to be an older parent. I don't want to start at 38 and then be like knocking it out for the next 18 years. Right. For me. Um, so yeah. So I thought, oh, let's do this. And yeah, Journey came. And I remember thinking, ah, I'm not pregnant. And so, because I didn't get pregnant right away. I was like, that's great. Because I really think we should wait because this is probably not the right time. Mm -hmm. And then like two weeks later, I found I was pregnant. I was like, oh, okay. Well, there's that. Here we go. Here we go. You're in it. Yep. Yep. Got to do it. Yeah. No, it really does. It it kind of hits you like, oh, wait, are we doing yeah. this? Yeah. There's part of me that, want, that thinks maybe it's better young. I don't know. I was in between because I started at 27 because there's so much you don't know. Yeah. Right. Whereas if, if I were if I were having kids now, I'd be tired. I'd be real. I'd sleepy. be really tired. Yeah. I'd be really, really tired. I might be more calm about some things and less mm -hmm. anxious and worried mm -hmm. about yeah. some things. About some things. But I think there are other things I'd be more concerned about and I'd be tired. Yeah. I definitely would be tired all the time. So I'm glad I did it when I did it. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was an experience. <laughs> it was an experience. And I had her at an age where I say all the time, when you turn 21, I'm going to the club with you. We turn it up. And she's like, no, we're not. But technically, in a few years, yeah. she'll be 21. And I can still kind of not feel completely out of sorts. Exactly. At a very nice club. <laughs> <laughs> at an upscale. At an upscale club. Yes. So when did you come to the tagline Love and Magic? Um, that probably came the first or second year before I was even social media savvy. And I won't say that I'm social media savvy, but I pay attention to it now. Um, people kept asking what's your secret ingredient? How do you make this? And I would say, love and magic. One part love, one part magic. Where do you put in this love and magic? You know, and then I was like, I need to write that down because that's becoming my answer to what this is. So that's how the hashtag love and magic came about. Nice, nice. Yeah, it fits you perfectly. Well, thank you. It really does. Oh, I was wondering yeah. if it was like a... A mantra throughout your life. No, but it definitely has gotten me through the really low points where I would think, I don't know how this is going to happen. And I will say, okay, love and magic. Let's tap in. Where's that love? Where's that magic? Something's going to happen. You know, it's kind of like what the universe is to me is love and is magic. So it works for life. It does. It does. I know when I had kids, my mantra was prayer and wine. Oh, see, and I didn't even start drinking wine until after the shop opened. I was late to alcohol. Um, and now- It drove you to drink. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is this thing that I'm sipping that makes me feel better about life? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not until I opened the shop did I have my first glass of wine. And I was like, Seriously, I need to. Yep, first need glass to. of wine or first glass of alcohol. 
first glass of wine. Okay. 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 I was like, oh, okay. I wasn't a big alcohol drinker, but that mm-hmm. was my my first glass of wine. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So what's next for you? What's next for me? So in my mind, and I guess I should just say it because either it's going to happen or it's not. But for the last couple of years, I've been wanting to open something else that is a bit more sophisticated. Um, The plating is different. The food is different. A little higher end, someplace that people my age and younger or older would feel good about going to, to celebrate life, to celebrate is Friday or to celebrate there's a birthday or a promotion. So I've wanted to open something like that and open um, a venue, sort of like a new, because I think and believe that there definitely is, um, there aren't enough Black chefs being highlighted in this industry at all whatsoever, but definitely not in St. Louis. And it's a hard business to even be successful at. Um, So I want a venue that's big enough to do a pop-up for somebody who's up and coming. And so I found a space um, and we're working it out. So, and I'm scared to death because it's bigger than I thought. And it's different. And this business is exhausting. And I'm wondering while I'm still in it, that's part of that that life um, destiny thing, especially when I was initiated, that, that kind of reading that says, and this is also what you do. And some you're going to hate it sometimes, but it's part of your walk. This yeah. is part of your destiny and you have to do it. And it's like, I don't want to, I'm tired. But that's what's next for me. So definitely savory bites, tapa style, dessert heavy menu, wine and cocktails. And if you want to get married at this venue, you can because I have the space for it. I am um, so excited for So you. that's what's next. And sweetheart will stay open for as long as it makes sense. And that's all that's all I have about sweetheart. I like it. I like how people connect to it. And it'll be open as long as it makes sense. I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Like, that's Thank you. amazing. It's coming about. It's come slowly but surely. And, but I know that oh. piece that you said about fear, sometimes mm-hmm. that's when you know you're on the right track, when it's yeah. a little scary, because yeah. that's where growth happens, outside of our comfort zone. This is very true. And I'm very scared. And I think I'm scared not for, not because if it didn't, quote unquote, succeed, People would, you know, blast me because people blast you anyway. If I close Sweetheart tomorrow, they'd be like, well, it had been going down anyway. And I didn't. And it it could be because I'm done with that. Mm -hmm. But people will always have something to say. They will. Um, So I've been working really hard trying not to get looped into the external because it just doesn't make sense. Because once you get into that circus... You know, you might as well put on the whole outfit and just throw some tumblers and do a hula hoop and just make yourself crazy in it. Um, So I'm just really focused on I'm scared to do this, but I'm going to and we'll see what happens. So this terrifies me. Um, It's a building that I want to purchase, but it's not for sale yet. But I'm hoping they sell it to me eventually. 
wink, wink. Hi, guys. Um, and I hope people come out. Oh, I have They'll no doubt. They'll come out because they're curious. Yeah. And they want to be like, she thinks she's doing something. Those people. Not everybody, but those people. Mm-hmm. You know those people. She yeah. thinks she's somebody. Yeah. But we're not worried about those we're people. We're not. No. I want them to come, though, because yes, I want their money, that's too. That's business. Yeah. But. Come. Come. <laughs> But for everyone else, I want them to just come and support, especially once I get to doing other people's pop-ups, you know, other Black women chefs who don't have a space yet, but really want people here to know their food, to be in a kitchen. I had never worked in a commercial kitchen. Mm. So to have that experience, so you want to be in food. Have you ever worked in a kitchen? Come work in this kitchen and then market your own pop-up and see- how it feels to just do this for a day. Because most people be about ready to die after a day of food service. It's exhausting. Um, but I want to give that opportunity because we never get that opportunity. We are rarely seen. Um, even people in this business, when I'm talking about business or wanting to do something. Mm -hmm. I've had men talk over me and I'm the only one signing a check. Right. And it's like, okay, well, I can't do business with you because you don't even see me. me. But I want to give opportunities to people who are in that same position, who aren't being seen, but really know this is what they want to do. That's beautiful. How long do we have to wait? In my mind, journey needs to be in school for real. I keep saying October before the holidays. But what I also know is you can put a date and then next thing you know is summer 2020. We're we're opening. Um, But in my mind, I'd like to do it before the holidays 2019. Awesome. If not, at least by Valentine's. You know, I got to get these holidays. Right, right. Ticket days, like, yep. oh, I got to do it by then. So. Yeah. so I want my own anew. Thanks, anew. But I want my own. That's great. That's awesome. And I appreciate you being so honest because that's important for people to, to hear. It really is how hard it is, how exhausting mm-hmm. it is. And I've heard that you're getting called up for speaking gigs lately. Like I you're am, going and on I a don't cruise know why that, I don't know how speak. this is happening. Um, but I think... And if I were on stage, I wouldn't be saying so many ums. But <laughs> I feel as though we went, when we were talking earlier about just how I've been trying to live this past year being really authentic and nothing's really off the table. I don't necessarily talk about my children and, and their personal stuff, but people really just want to to hear how it really is because social media has us all all all, all confused and up. crazy yes. you know you ask me thinking i need to eat salad all the time i'm not even thinking I would, that's I would slightly photoshop i would eat that kale salad all the well, time though. you know i can arrange that um <laughs> <laughs> salad dressing coming to you soon um but people just really want to know the real of it and i don't I've never felt like I had to perform or make things seem a way that they aren't. Even 
even before my separation, even before the business hiccups, I had used Facebook or social media to talk about just sometimes how it is a lot of work and how it can be overwhelming. And then people respond, you know, oh, you're so honest. So that's, I, I believe, why people want me to speak as of late. I'm not going to say I don't know anything. I like to say I know what I'm doing. You do. Mm-hmm. You know a lot of things. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think people want that honesty. And that's why I've had people stop me and say, oh, I love the podcast. And I, I'd say, I feel like I'm just recording great conversations with mm. great people. Like I don't feel well. like I'm doing much. I'm really just letting people in on that window that they don't right. often get to see. Right. And so I think in, when you speak and you're honest... And People get honest. to see what they don't typically get to see because our yeah. lives are so curated. It's so, so curated. curated. I think that's why people love um, the Red Table Talk. Yes, I do too. I do too because it's just so real. And it's generationally real. Yeah, and it's generationally real. Like so you got – I was just watching the one on polyamory and you have Willow who's – definitely read up on it and, and mm-hmm. is expressing interest in it. And it's like, mm-hmm. why do we think we own people? Yeah. That monogamy sets us up to get caught up in our jealousy, right? So she's right. processing and questioning. And then mm-hmm. you have Gammy who's like, mm-hmm. I don't share, Mm-mm. you know, and I, you know. <laughs> she is like, nope, not having it. And Jade is kind of in the middle. And so mm-hmm. they have a, uh, a throuple, mm-hmm. a couple that it's a guy and two women. And so they're yeah. talking and, through the course of them sharing, Gammy's able to be like, oh, I get it. Hmm. Like, I see this. I, it's not for me, but I see but it. But I see it. And yeah. it's just their willingness to share and be open. And be open. And to not be so caught up in what everyone else thinks that I think right. is the gift. Yeah, that is a gift. It is. And I think as a woman at this at the tender age of 43, hey, 43, I'm a new 43, I'm owning it. Um, I think as a woman who really, I felt like an imposter. I felt like I had that imposter syndrome um, in the initial stages of being a business owner because there's so little I knew. I just knew that I could make cake and more likely than not, it was going to turn out tasty. So I often felt like I'm just pretending. I didn't go to the French culinary school. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And I'm not as good. And da 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 da. And I think that's just a head trip. And part of not knowing yourself is being pliable to not only the things that you say to yourself, but the things that you hear from other people and their judgments. And Though I said, I don't know how I'm getting these speaking engagements to go off and talk about X, Y, and Z, I also want to say, but I know what I'm doing. I'm talented at what I do. I feel as though I'm the best in the game at what I do. Uh, I've worked very hard. I have a work ethic that is unmatched, and that's how I have not closed um, or gone to a mental institution thus far. Right. So- I think we also need to own our strengths and our abilities and not play it as modest all the time because I did that too. Oh, well, thanks. You like my cake. Was it good for real? Was it? Was it? Stop it. I work really 
hard at this. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. I think it's good too. Yes, they did it right today. Amen. They followed the recipe or that worked. Thank you. Thank you very much. But I want to also use this period of my life not to play small like I would normally play small. I want to own it. And I think owning it is not just the beauty of it, but it's also, hey, I almost lost my whole business that one weekend um, because things were not functioning well behind the scenes. And I wasn't cognizant of that part. I was just hustling and making cakes, doing this, doing that. So saying, yeah, I'm talented, but also saying, and I'm very flawed, is the thing that I think people resonate to. Yeah. They want to they hear that. They do, because yeah. we're all flawed. And yes. we all want to live out loud. We, mm-hmm. I think that there's something in all of us that, that wants to own our strengths, that doesn't want to play small. Yeah. And I don't know if it's something that's happening... Uh, as like a, a black girl magic thing, like a right. wait, but I'm hearing so many women, so many black women in particular, talk about pulling away from that imposter syndrome, not mm-hmm. being willing to pick up those negative ideas or assumptions yeah. that society has about us and saying, I'm going to own it. Yeah. And why play small? Why? Why? That and, does and sometimes no one it's a conversation. Yeah. It does no one a service, but yeah. sometimes it takes having that conversation with yourself daily. Oh, yeah. It doesn't just, it's not like you just flip a switch and it's done. No, not at all. When I was asked to be a keynote for a cruise, like uh, with other black women, I was like, "Um, what about, what about if I could be like somebody on a panel? Like, seriously, I was like, "Hmm, keynote, no, that's not, that's not me. I'm a behind the scenes person. I don't even like people. I do like y'all in small doses, but I'm behind the scenes. That's, that's who I am. yeah. Instead of just being like, okay. But it took it's that daily conversation. I was literally on the phone going, they're asking this for a reason. So don't put yourself on a panel of five and just walk into it. Shonda Rhimes, the year of yes. Yes. It's kind of like my little pocket guide now. Like, yep. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'll do it. Yes. Even today. Come on and talk. Okay, sure. Yes. <laughs> I'll do it. Let's see what happens. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the yes. And I appreciate all the ways in which you've just given to yourself, given of yourself, mm. whether it's through like your cakes, which are amazing. Thank you. Or your just honesty and keeping it real. Um, you've been you've been a gift. You are a gift. Thank you. Not very past much. tense, present tense. Yes, I want to be alive. You are. <laughs> How can people find you or follow you? Mm. So um, if you're in St. Louis, Sweetheart is located at 2203 South 39th Street in the historic Shaw neighborhood. Beautiful, beautiful neighborhood um, near the Botanical Garden. We are also on Facebook and Instagram and our um, tag is, well, most of our hashtags are Sweetheart St. Louis, Love and Magic. Black Women Chefs, and our at is SweetArtSTL. Can people get anything if they're not in St. Louis? Are you sending off any treats? If you're not in St. Louis and you catch us on a non-busy weekend, we will ship you some brownies, 
Um, our vegan brownies are a hit and I love them and people love them across the country. And we are developing other things that we ship and put in grocery stores. Wonderful. So they can yeah. find that on the website? They can find out a little bit of information about that on the website. Yeah. Which Sweetartstl.com. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. My pleasure. And anytime. I'll take you up on that. Okay. No okay. bet. All right. Next time, feed me or have a oh, glass of wine. No, <laughs> no really. We sometimes do. I should do that. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And thank you for joining us on Raising Equity. Hopefully, you are going to go check out Sweetheart St. Louis if you're here. And if not, follow them and you'll hear all about the announcement of Rain's new space. Thanks for following the series of Black Girl Magic. And we'll see you next time on Raising Equity.